Turn, if you would, this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. I pray that you'd bless now the effort to preach your word. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts today and that you would help us uh, to give attention to it as it needs and as it deserves. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think most of you all know that a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, we finished our study of Psalm 119. And uh, since then, we've been bouncing around some on Sunday mornings. I think it's been profitable for us, but you know, if you've been here very long at all, that I prefer to be in a series. And so this morning, we are going to be starting a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we did this several years ago, I believe, on a Wednesday night. And it's a book that, as I've said of other occasions or other uh, sermons and series, it's a, it's a book that deserves to be visited more than once. All right, It's a good book. It is a powerful book, and there is much to glean from it. And so I don't feel a need to apologize that we're, quote, unquote, going through this again uh, because the sermons will be new and they will be uh, different, I'm sure, than what I preached uh, several years ago. I certainly hope they are. Okay, so we're going to hope for an improvement on what was preached years ago, but uh, I trust that this will be a help to us. So we'll be here for the next few months uh, here in Ecclesiastes. This morning, I want to begin with just some background information. I'll try not to give us too much information, but I want us to understand enough so that we have a, an idea as to where things are coming from and why certain things are being said as uh, we get through this book in these next few weeks, I think most of us know, if we've been in church very long, uh, most of us know who the book of Ecclesiastes was written by. We know that it was written by Solomon as he was the king of Israel. It says in verse number 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Then in verse number 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And so we understand that this would have been written by Solomon, who was the son of David, who was the king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I know that you know this, but sometimes, as I mentioned just a moment ago, sometimes in order to understand things better, to understand things more clearly, it helps if we know something about the person who is writing the words, penning the statements, saying what's been said. And so this morning I want to remind us of who Solomon was and who he was the son of. Now, I've already said that he was the son of David. But for those who may not know or for those who may not be thinking about it this morning, I want to remind us that he was also the son of Bathsheba. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I think many of us know how David and Bathsheba got together. We know that David had an immoral, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, who was married to another man at the time of their relationship. We know that in an effort to cover up this immoral, adulterous relationship, that David had her husband uh, killed in a battle. And, and again, all this was done in an effort to cover up his sin and to cover up his own transgressions. And so right there from the very beginning, we know that this is not the best way to start a relationship. Would you agree? Not the best way to start a relationship. So we understand that whenever Bathsheba became pregnant with the child of that first 
uh, stage of the relationship, we know from the Scripture that that child eventually died soon after birth. But it was after that child that Bathsheba was born into the home and into the life of David. And as you go through the life of David, here is what you discover, and you cannot deny this, that in the adult years of David... David lived a very ungodly life. I know that in the minds of some, that can almost seem like a blasphemous statement. But as you read through the Scripture, you cannot argue this fact that David, in the adult years of his life, as king over Israel, he was a failure as a husband. And he was a failure as a father. And in many ways, just by overall example, from the spiritual perspective, he was a failure. You and I would not try to pattern our adult lives after the adult life of David whatsoever. And so what you see when you read through the life of David is this. A man who many times gave in to the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh and, and the wants of this world. He was a man who so many times gave in to that. And yet at the same time, he might be the man who had conviction, it seemed, and, and maybe one who would have a desire to do what is right. And, and so what you see in the life of David would be this. A man who was very conflicted in who he was, he knew what was right, yet so many times he lived in direct opposition to what he knew was right. And so what you see in the life of David is this. He was religious, but so seldom was he godly. He would say the right things, and he would have somewhat of a desire for the right things, but yet when you follow out his life and his actions again so many times, what he actually lived did not line up with what he would say. We call that a hypocritical life, do we not? Amen. For a person to say something, to suggest certain desires, but then to live a completely opposite lifestyle, that is a hypocritical approach to life. Now why would I bring David into this, and why would I bring his failures into this, and his inconsistencies, and his hypocrisy? I bring that into the picture for this reason. That was Solomon's dad. That was Solomon's influence in his life. And Solomon could not help but be affected by what he saw in his own father and his own father's spiritual life. Here is Solomon, and like all of his brothers and sisters who grew up in the kingdom and saw the way that David lived, Solomon would have seen a man in his father who said one thing but lived another thing. And so it really comes as no surprise that when you begin to read the story of Solomon, here is what you find of Solomon. He is many times remembered as the man who prayed the great prayer God, I need an understanding heart. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. God, I don't know how to lead your people. And many people will look to that prayer and say, what a wonderful prayer that Solomon prayed. And it was a wonderful prayer that he prayed. Some remember Solomon like this. 
the writer of the great Proverbs, and he was a writer of the Proverbs, and we have been benefited and blessed immensely because of that. And some would maybe remember the temple that he built, and some may remember the, the, the wealth that he had and all these different things, but at the end of the day, with everything good that Solomon accomplished, you cannot deny what Scripture also records of his life and how he loved many strange women and how he was married to multiple wives for different political reasons. And in addition to all of his wives, he had hundreds of concubines or mistresses. And then you think about just the worldly pursuit that he took in his life. And again, you get back to this point of Solomon, that it's almost like he was a dual personality. It's almost as though he struggled with, with this idea of consistency. There was this desire to be godly or to have somewhat of an appearance of godliness. And yet in his overall actions, he repeatedly and consistently gave in to the lust, and the desires of the flesh. You cannot read the scripture, be honest, and come to any other conclusion than that. Here was a man who was religious in much of his activity, but in his daily practical life, he lived in direct opposition to everything God would have wanted from him. Here is a man who grew up in the home of a hypocrite. And to no surprise, he grew up as a hypocrite. Now you could almost stop right there and preach a sermon on the life of David and David's failure by way of an example to his son. The example and the testimony that an adult gives to the child has influence on the child. Well, let's pay attention to this. This is very important. Solomon was greatly influenced in his own personal walk with God by the example of his father, he lived in a house where dad said one thing and lived another. And it comes as no surprise then that Solomon grew up thinking that must be how you live. You say whatever the religious people expect you to say, and then you live however you choose to live. That's the lifestyle that Solomon Adopted, and that is the way that he approached life. Now, we know of Solomon, of so many things, we will deal with that in a moment. But here is Solomon writing the book of Ecclesiastes, and here's what he's going to do. In the second verse of this letter, the, what we call the second verse, he's going to just basically give us the theme that sets up the rest of the book. In verse number 2, he said this, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
I think most of us know what the word vanity means. I think we know where it comes from. It comes from the idea of something being vain. And what that means is this, is that it is empty, it is pointless, and it is worthless. Are we awake this morning? I want us to get this. It is empty, it is pointless, it is worthless. Solomon said in his adult years, after a life of hypocrisy, after a life of religion, but no real commitment in his walk with God, here is what he discovered. He discovered that all is vanity, that every bit of it is vain, every bit of it is empty, every bit of it is pointless, every bit of it is worthless. Here is what he said. He said, of everything I have done, of everything that I have accomplished, he said, not any of it has any worth in my life. Now, if we know anything about the life of Solomon, that is an amazing statement. Because if anyone accomplished anything, it was Solomon. If anyone did anything, it was Solomon. And so here's what we could say of Solomon based upon what he said, because these are his words, that everything was vain, everything was empty, it was all pointless, it was all worthless. Solomon, if he had a chance to speak to you and I this morning, he would say this, every bit of money that I had, served me no purpose whatsoever. The gold that I had, the silver that I had, the precious jewels that I had, everything that we would consider to be a sign of wealth and prosperity, Solomon said at the end of the day, it profited me nothing. It was pointless. It was worthless. There was no value to it. It did not satisfy and do for me what I thought it was going to do for me. With all the possessions that Solomon had, he said it's pointless. It's empty. It is worthless. With every experience I've enjoyed, with all of the pleasures and the indulgences that I've known, it is empty. With all of my knowledge, with all of my understanding, with all of my learning, everything that I have acquired and everything that I have enjoyed and everything that I have possessed and everything that I have known, the word all means everything. Solomon said none of this has proven to have purpose and meaning and value to my life. It's not that God was ever against any of those things. You understand this? We're looking pretty sleepy this morning, folks. If we need to sit up and give attention to this, let's do it. But, but it's not that God was opposed to any of these things. But here is what Solomon was guilty of doing. He was guilty of pursuing these things, these experience, these possessions. He was guilty of pursuing them outside of a personal relationship or a close relationship with God. And because his relationship with God was not what it was supposed to be, then everything else that he thought was going to meet those needs or those desires or those wants in his life proved to fail him 
miserably. For this reason, that though God was never opposed to those things, those things were never designed by God to meet the needs of mankind. God was not opposed to those things enhancing the life of Solomon, but it was never the plan or the intent of God for those things to be where joy and satisfaction and contentment was found. And so here is Solomon, and I know we're only dealing with a couple of verses this morning, but here is Solomon, and as he looks back over the course of his life, he has grown up in a home where dad wasn't consistent, where mom was not what she was supposed to be, most likely because dad was not what he was supposed to be. So here is Solomon, he grows up in that kind of a lifestyle, and that's the lifestyle that he now adopts for himself. And as he begins to travel and acquire and do and possess, and I have all these different experiences, at the end of the day, Solomon discovers I'm still not happy I'm still not satisfied and I am a miserable wretched individual you understand what's happened in Solomon's life absent from God he pursued everything he thought would make him happy And with that absence from God in his life, nothing satisfied him. Now this morning, we're not going to be here a long time. We're not going to spend a great deal of time in application. But this morning, I want us to consider just a few thoughts. I want us to consider a few simple truths that we all know if we'll just be honest and sincere about this. This is what you and I know that there are many people in this world, especially in our culture today, who live a life absent from God. And with that absence of God in their lives, there is an emptiness and there is a void that nothing in this world can fill. Do you know that to be true? That in our world and in our culture, there are many people who live absent from God in their life. God is over here and they are far from God. They're not living for the Lord. They're not interested in the things of God. That, That is not at all how they consider their daily lives. And as they live their lives absent from God, there is an emptiness and a void in their life that they do not understand, that they cannot explain, but they will try to put anything in there that they believe will fill that void in their lives. Now, I know what preachers many times like to do. Preachers like to, again, begin jumping to these horrible, terrible conclusions. And I know that sometimes it is true. Yes, people will turn to a bottle. And yes, people will turn to drugs so many times to try to find that fulfillment and to try to find some kind of an escape from the miserable lifestyle that they're living. But let's be honest, so many people who live a life absent from God, they're turning to things that in and of themselves would be okay and and natural and appropriate looking to fill that kind of a void in their life. They want to find a relationship that will fill that void. They want to find that relationship and have children because 
Certainly, if the spouse doesn't fill that void, then my children will fill that void. Only to discover that as noble and as wonderful as wanting children is, children cannot fill that void in their lives. They look to volunteer. They look to community services. They look to to so many different avenues. They look to so many different things because there again is that hole in their life, that void in their life that they cannot seem to, to find true peace and contentment and satisfaction. And there again is a reason for that because they are doing everything they are doing absent from their relationship with God. Do you know anyone like this? How many people do we know in our families who they never have long-term contentment and satisfaction because what they are pursuing is being pursued outside of their relationship with God? It's not that these are terrible, wicked people. It's not that they're engaged in horrible, wicked, sinful lifestyles. But it's just a constant state of turmoil and unrest in their lives because they're doing what they're doing without a relationship with God. How many people do you work with? How many people do you live beside? How many people do you rub shoulders with on a regular basis? And they continue to find themselves frustrated by the the issues of life. And there is never a true contentment. It's because everything outside of a relationship with God, though noble or appropriate it may be, Everything they pursue outside of God leaves them empty because you cannot leave God out of the equation and find the fulfillment that you want in life. The world is easy to beat up on. Do you know that? The world is easy to beat up on. I could stand up here for probably much longer than you want me to stand up here this morning talking about all the things that the world does wrong and no wonder they don't have peace and contentment and satisfaction in life. But see, that's not who Solomon was. Solomon was not an atheist. Solomon was not one who denied the existence of God. Solomon was not one who was anti-God. He was religious. Now I want us to think about who Solomon was for this reason. Solomon's still exist today in our churches. You understand what I'm talking about, don't you? You Say, well, no, I don't understand. Okay, then let me just explain it very quickly. See, Solomon was religious. Solomon knew the jargon. Solomon knew how to pray. Solomon knew how to build an incredible temple or have an incredible temple built. And Solomon knew the right things to do. He knew protocol. He knew what was supposed to happen when, where, how, and he knew how to handle himself. Solomon 
knew how to do it. He just didn't live it. Can I tell you something that in our churches today, we are filled with people who know what to do. They just don't live it once they get outside the church house doors. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be negative and hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not trying to be the downer this morning. I'm just trying to be honest with us. Do we know that today Solomon still exists among us? There are people who know all the right things to say, but as soon as they leave the church house doors, they are going to live however they want to live. And then you know what they can't figure out? Why am I still empty? Why am I still frustrated? Why am I still longing for something else? See, this life of hypocrisy, this life of inconsistency, this life of being religious at the right times but being worldly all the other times, That kind of a life leads to a very frustrating existence. And there are so many people who sit in church and they they live a very frustrated life because it's not that they're atheists. It's not that they don't believe in God. It's not that they don't pray. It's not that they don't believe in, in the power of church and the benefit of it and all these other things. The problem is this. They are frustrated because their life is not what it's supposed to be away from the religious world that they're associated with. And so because it is not what it's supposed to be, they're frustrated, but because they don't want to get right with God, they pursue other things that they believe will make them feel better about themselves and fulfill whatever that emptiness is in their lives. And for most people sitting in church, their problem isn't alcohol. For most people in church, their problem isn't drugs. For most people, their problem in church is not some horrible, wicked sin that they're pursuing. But I'm telling you, there are so many people sitting in church, their relationship with God is not at all what it's supposed to be. Yes, I'm religious, though, but the problem is, is when you get out here, you live how you want to live. And so, because, again, they don't want to get right with God, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pursue this, and surely this will give me the joy that I've been lacking. I'm just going to become the best husband I can become. I'm going to become the best wife that I can become. I'm going to become the best parent that I can be. I'm going to be the best grandparent I can be. I'm going to be the greatest volunteer. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Whatever it is. And at the end of the day, they lay their heads on their pillows. And you know what? They're still empty. They're still frustrated. So-called Christians buy this and they pursue this and there's not anything wrong with buying this and pursuing this and, and enjoying a sample of what the world has to offer. But, but I'm telling you, here's what is happening in the lives of so many people who sit in church. They are pursuing everything outside of their relationship with God. And what they will soon discover, if they haven't discovered it already, is this, is that everything they accomplish in this life will be empty, pointless, and worthless because those things were never intended or designed to satisfy us 
As much as I love Susie, she was never designed to satisfy me outside of a relationship with God. The only way that Susie and I can have the relationship that we're supposed to have is because of a right relationship with God. And if our relationship with God is not what it's supposed to be, my relationship with Susie will still leave me empty and frustrated and, and, and bothered in life. You understand how this works? I love being a parent to three kids. I think it's wonderful. I love it. But the children that God blessed me with, that was never what God designed to satisfy me in life. The only way that these children are what they're supposed to be in my life and me in their life is when the relationship with God is what it's supposed to be. And so, so many people, they're frustrated in their marriage and they're frustrated with their kids. They're frustrated with their grandkids and they're not satisfying me. They're not giving me the contentment I'm supposed to, to have that, that I feel like I deserve. Okay, listen, that was never God's intent. Those are just little bonuses that enhance the relationship with God. Well, my job doesn't satisfy me. Well, guess what? No job ever will. Well, I don't have enough money. Guess what? You never will. I don't get to go enough places. Guess what? You never will. I don't get to do enough things. Guess what? You never will. Because those things were never designed for our satisfaction and our fulfillment. The only thing that satisfies and the only thing that fulfills is when our walk with God is what it's supposed to be. Solomon was not frustrated because he didn't have enough. Solomon was frustrated because his walk with God was not what, it's supposed, what it was supposed to be. And I want to ask us this morning to consider this thought. I want us to consider this very simple challenge, and we're going to be done. But I want to ask you this morning, how content are you? How satisfied in life are you? So, Brother Kyle, I'm restless. Brother Kyle, I'm just not content. I'm just not satisfied. I'm just not happy in life. Okay, answer this question. Well, why not? Why aren't you happy? Why aren't you satisfied? Why aren't you content? Why is it that there is still this, this longing in your heart? And why is there still this void in your life? Why is it that you're still struggling with all of these issues and these emotions after all these years? Why is that? Brother Kyle, you don't understand my circumstances. If you lived the life that I lived, I mean, if you had the same problems that I had, hold on, I know this, some people have had it far worse than what we've had it, and they still manage to find some contentment and happiness and joy and satisfaction in life. So we can't really blame it on the circumstances. Do you have that peace and that contentment and that happiness and that joy in your life? Well, no. Okay, why not? If the reason you don't have contentment and satisfaction and peace and joy is because of your circumstances, understand you will never have satisfaction. You just won't. The only way that we are satisfied 
and we feel as though we have worth and our lives are not pointless and there is some contentment and there is peace and joy. The only way that we find those things that truly matter is when our relationship with God is what it's supposed to be. You know what, I, I know you're not overly concerned about this, but you know what just bugs me to no end? People who want to bellyache about their circumstances while claiming their walk with God is what it's supposed to be. Listen, I understand that circumstances are not always favorable. You understand that? I want you to understand what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Okay? I know that circumstances are not always favorable and it's not always what we would prefer. But if we're where we're supposed to be with God, our circumstances will not dictate our fulfillment and our contentment and our peace and our joy in life. And so if we're always down, if we're always discouraged, if we're always depressed, if we're always moping about, if we just can't get the joy, the problem is not the circumstances as much as it is our pursuit of those things to fulfill us that were never designed to fulfill us. The only thing that will fulfill and satisfy us and give us what we want in life is a relationship with God, one that is real and genuine and consistent. What is our relationship with the Lord like right now? I don't mean the Sunday morning facade because even Solomon could pull that one off. When you leave the doors of this church this morning, what is your relationship with God like? It doesn't matter if we understand what we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do it, how we're supposed to do it. That doesn't matter if when we get outside the church house doors, we're not living it. If it's not real out there, the peace and the joy and the contentment will not ever be found in your life. Are you pursuing God? When you pursue God, things fall into place. When you live absent from God, everything you do will prove empty at some point. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning to be men and women who are honest about our relationship with you. Lord, it is possible and it's probably likely that there are some Solomons even in our midst this morning. We are religious, but we are not godly. We understand the religious system. We know how it works. We know the ins and the outs. We know the, the amen points. We know the, the times to sing, sit, all that other stuff. But God, truth be told, they're not living it in their daily lives. God, I pray that you'd help us to understand that a life outside of a relationship with you is going to leave us empty and miserable. That our circumstances do not dictate whether or not we're satisfied in life. And so I pray that today you'd help us to be honest. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.